I'm here today with Kevin Nye. Kevin is the author of a new book titled Grace Can Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness from Harold Press. Kevin is an assistant director of programs at the Center in Hollywood, a non-religious nonprofit doing services and advocacy for people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles. He's a graduate of Fuller Seminary and completed the course of study in necessary hours for ordination in the Church of the Nazarene before stepping away from the ordination process and surrendering fully to this vocation to which God has called him. Kevin is quickly becoming a recognized and respected voice on the intersection of faith and homelessness, and he's written on these issues for publications including Fathom Magazine and Red Letter Christians. You can learn more at KevinMNye.com. That's KevinMNye.com. So, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's really great to meet you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's funny hearing that uh, version of the bio because uh, some of those things have changed, actually. Oh, is that right? Okay. Well, maybe you can update yeah. us. Sure. I'm actually now located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, we moved across the country about a month ago, uh, and so that also means I'm no longer at uh, the center in Hollywood. I'm now at an organization here called YouthLink. What's the name of it again? I'm sorry. YouthLink. YouthLink. Okay. And yeah. Tell, can you tell us more about that organization? Yeah. Yeah. Still, still in uh, in the field of homelessness, uh, but focused on uh, distinctly the youth population, so 18 to 24. Uh, and, yeah, very similar uh, to what I was doing before in terms of drop-in resources, housing resources, kind of the full, the full spectrum of homeless services being, being done here. Uh, and I, my position here is the housing director. Okay. So is it specific to the Minneapolis area then? Yes. Yeah. Cool. So um, maybe, you know, before we get into the book, you could tell us a little bit more about your background. Um, you know, before you came there. Sure. Yeah, so I, you know, I grew up uh, in the church, uh, specifically in the denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, um, and understood around the time I was a teenager um, some sort of sense of call to ministry uh, and pursued that through uh, going to a Nazarene university and studying theology and ministry and later deciding to go to seminary at Fuller, as you mentioned, uh, which is in Southern California. Um, and during that time, really, you know, became interested and inspired by the aspects of, um, of the Bible, of, you know, of Jesus, of the prophets that were geared towards social justice. Um, and so as I was really trying to decide where where that was leading me career-wise, how that was going to to gel with what I had understood as a very kind of general uh, call to ministry that I would only really imagine as, you know, pastoral ministry, right? Um, by the time that I was graduating seminary, I was recently married and getting at that point where I really needed to figure out a career. I couldn't just keep working in coffee shops. Um, I just really started to ask that question and have the more serious conversations with my denomination about what a, a future pastoral ministry could look like, um, and our visions just weren't really aligning. Uh, and so understanding, you know, my, my passion for social justice and 
kind of a broader imagination of what ministry could be. Um, I was in Los Angeles and I looked around and saw homelessness as the primary crisis that we were facing as a city uh, and wanted to, you know, be a part of, of changing that. So I got a job at the center uh, just kind of as a frontline worker case manager, essentially. Um, and yeah, I was there for almost six years and now I'm doing similar work in, in Minneapolis and um, kind of understand that this to be my, my realm, my, my vocation. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, more recently, I've been really interested in understanding how people make such major changes like you have in vocation. You know, I, I did the same thing, right? I mean, I worked on completely different things a long part of my life. And, and more recently, uh, I'm much more focused on, you know, things that are more spiritual and, and hopefully more at help people. And, um, you know, you kind of... And so I've been reading like Father Richard Rohr, you know, with the book Falling Upward, right? That talks about the first half of life and second half of life. That you know, the first half of life for a lot of people is more ambition oriented, and the second half is maybe more or more altruistic oriented. Um, how did you kind of decide to make that relatively abrupt shift? Well, I I would be lying if I didn't say that part of it was was made for me. Uh, in that some of my uh, kind of changing and broadening beliefs uh, precluded me from being able to be ordained uh, in the denomination that I I was raised in, uh, and and so that that made that shift a little more necessary. You know, if I if I had decided that I still really wanted to pursue you know traditional church ministry. I would have had to take a lot of steps back uh, and start over in a new denomination. And, um, yeah, so it, it's in many ways it, it sort of just happened that way, kind of outside of my control. And um, and I was just kind of you know, doing the next thing that, that made the most sense. And, and now here I am. <laughs> it, it didn't feel at the time like I was making a, you know, a cataclysmic career shift as much as just, you know, doing what made the most sense to me at the time and, and seeing what happened. <laughs> um, did it feel a little bit like jumping off a cliff? or <laughs> At points, yeah. I mean, I, when I was in that uh, process with my denomination where, you know, they were asking hard questions and I was giving hard answers, uh, it was a lot of time spent in, in therapy, um, kind of sorting through through that that process and what that that loss meant and the implications it had on kind of my sense of call and sense of purpose yeah so i have to ask you i grew up in a small town in illinois where um olivet nazarene university is mm -hmm. um and um so when i was a kid growing up a lot of the kids were nazarenes a lot of the kids were catholic because that town of bourbon illinois had originally been primarily a catholic uh, community, and I was neither one. Uh, you went to a United Methodist Church in another town, so I kind of would watch these reactions of kids, you know, about religion. You know, between these other two groups that were very, very different. <laughs> yeah. You know, in terms of their outlook on things. So um, that didn't happen to be where you went to school, was it? No, I went to Southern Nazarene, which is in Oklahoma City. 
Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, um, let's get to your book. Um, as I mentioned, the title is Grace Can Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness. How did that book come about? Um, how did it take shape and what motivated you to do it? Yeah. Well, I've always, I've always been a writer. Um, before I was anything else, before I knew or had any sense of any other call or vocation, I loved to write as a kid, whether it was fiction or nonfiction or imitating superhero stories, you know. Um, and so I've, I've always had a dream of, of writing, at least as some part of my, you know, my adult life. Um, and so when I started in, uh, in the work of, of addressing homelessness, I, I thought, like, maybe, maybe this is something I could write about one day, but obviously wanted to get to know it and actually be, a, you know, have, have enough to talk about and enough understanding. Um, and so after, after a few years, I thought, okay, I think I'm, I'm starting to, to be in a place where I want to write about this. I was certainly uh, experiencing a lot. Um, and when, you know, particular stories stood out to me, I would, I would write the story, one, just as a way of kind of processing and remembering what, what was happening, but, but also thinking, like, maybe these, these are significant stories that have changed my perspective on certain things. So I'm going to, you know, have these have these for later, you know? Um, and then I would say about the end of 2019, um, I was, I, I think there was just kind of a turning point in kind of understanding. I think that's also when I kind of understood like, oh, I think this is actually going to be my career for a long time and not just this is what I've been doing for a couple of years. Um, and also where I felt like, okay, I really think I understand homelessness in a really broad sense. And I really started to question, okay, what, why is this problem so, so big? What, what perpetuates this? And, and as I started asking that question, it really came down to this idea that we really have all of the resources that we need to end homelessness. We have the methodology, we have, we have the money, we have uh, in some cases, we have the housing already, um, but what was preventing us from actually ending homelessness? And more and more, I realized that it was an ideological issue, um, that ultimately we, uh, as a society, just really want to believe or do believe that certain people deserve to be poor and deserve to be homeless. Um, and the more I thought about that and kind of researched that, uh, it occurred to me that anything that's ideological is theological, right, for, for people of faith. Uh, and that, that that idea had really taken root in the church. Um, and in some, in some surveys, it actually is more prevalent in the church than outside of the church. This idea that poverty is a moral failure rather than a result of unexpected circumstances. Um, and so when I realized that, um, I just kept, I really just ruminated on that and thought, okay, I think that this is the book I want to write is addressing this from a faith perspective and trying to kind of turn the tide a little bit on, 
on that. And it was uh, around that time I, I really was thinking about this idea of home uh, and how home shows up in in scripture and shows up in uh, you know worship songs and hymns. Uh, and I was thinking about the song Amazing Grace, uh, where I think the second or third verse says, uh, "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Uh, and that line just just really stood out to me, and, and that was kind of an aha, you know, light bulb moment that it really is this idea of grace that, that goes against this idea of that certain people deserve poverty. Uh, because if we if we believe in grace and we believe that you know God gives salvation, God gives good gifts, God gives love and acceptance to us, not because we deserve it, but because of who God is, then the entire idea of certain people deserving a more miserable life than others just goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that that just that helps me understand the larger question and the larger uh, thesis of the book and then the rest just kind of fell in from there very cool good for you so who would you say the book is most attended for mm. yeah and it's it's interesting because I have a variety of different types of readers who some are you know on the more conservative end uh, of the Christian spectrum and some some of my early readers are actually uh, formerly Christian. They've left behind the faith entirely. Um, and I'm, I'm getting good responses from both. I would say that who I intended the book to be for was to be for anyone who understands themselves as a person of faith, or at least is familiar and, and motivated and inspired by you know the person of Jesus, uh, and who also sees homelessness uh, with an eye of compassion, you know, and, and I think that that's a lot of people. Um, I try to not paint anyone in the book as not caring, right, about the plight of homelessness. Um, but really my goal with the book is to uh, to provide folks who already have some level of compassion with the resources and the knowledge to uh, transform that compassion into into something more. Hmm. So there have been a lot of books written about homelessness. How would you say that this one is unique? Hmm. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of books about about poverty, and there's there are some books about homelessness. I will say, when I was thinking about writing this book, I wanted to know what else was out there, and I. I didn't find a whole lot. Um, there have been a couple really good ones that came out since, um, but largely, especially from a, a Christian or faith perspective, um, there haven't been a lot um, talking about this issue. And the ones that were were really more uh, more memoir or were really kind of um, limited in scope in the sense that they were reflecting on one person's experience or wisdom that they got from, you know, a particular site where they were, you know, ministering. Um, and, and I really wanted to zoom out 
Um, I do. T I tell stories. I tell talk a lot about my experience working at a particular place. Um, but I also I wanted to write it about kind of these broader concepts that within the realm of homelessness that you know kind of the uh, the inside baseball <laughs> talk among like if you go to conferences on homelessness you know the things that we're talking about like housing first like trauma informed care harm reduction are not necessarily concepts that that are known within the church but they're really widely recognized um, and I wanted to bring those into conversation uh, with with faith with theology uh, and sort of provide a synthesis and and the I talk in the introduction about sort of having my feet one foot in the the church and one foot in the homeless services and wanting to just turn my head back and forth and talk and sort of translate in between um, these two groups. Hmm. And that's, that's a book that I, I didn't see. Hmm. So um, I want to uh, ask you a question about something you touched on earlier. Um, and I was going to ask you about this anyway. Um, a blurb for the book says that a recent poll found that Christians are more than twice as likely as the general population to associate poverty with lack of effort as opposed to difficult circumstances. Why do you suppose that's the case? Yeah. So I will say um, that I do want to provide a correction to that blurb, that it's actually twice as likely as uh, non-Christians. So okay. just to clarify that, I'm, and that was from an earlier version that when we, we went through the fact-checking process, we realized, oh, that's an important distinction. Um, but Still, it's a big difference. Say, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a big difference, and I, I really think that the ways in which, you know, Christianity in America and, and the West more broadly have really been uh, associated with, with capitalism and with, mm -hmm. you know, Protestant work ethic um, really has this ramification. You know, I think um, something I talk about a lot is the idea of the, the inverted prosperity gospel, right? And we know that the prosperity gospel is very popular <laughs> in America that says if, you know, if you are, if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, then you'll be blessed with, you know, earthly prosperity and wealth and success. Um, the thing that doesn't get said as explicitly but is implied within that is that if you don't, then you will have the opposite. You will experience poverty, a lack of success. And the implication there is that if you see someone who is poor, who is living on the streets, that you immediately uh, have all of these assumptions about them. Uh, morally, spiritually, um, and that leads to this, this idea that in a way that they deserve what they get or that the path out of that is a spiritual or moral one, right? That if, you know, that a person experiencing homelessness, you know, they could get out of that and they are choosing to be stubborn or they refuse to work or they uh, that really that there's some sort of personal thing on their individual end that they need to address in order to 
participate the rest of us rather than this more collective communal idea that we we have an obligation to provide enough housing, enough resources so that everyone can sleep indoors, so that everyone can have access to, you know, enough money to live on, right? Um, so I think it's a it's an intersection of a lot of different things, and, and that's why, in many ways, it had to be a book, too, because uh, homelessness is not just the intersection of a couple things. It's also, I think it represents uh, the sort of a, a collection bin of a lot of the broken systems that we have um, in this country, whether it's mental health, whether it's substance use, whether it's the housing crisis, um, all of these things intersect to create uh, trouble for a lot of people. And uh, when all of those things intersect in a particular way, people end up without, you know, a place to call home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, we've all heard the term Skid Row, uh, but you actually work there. <laughs> so could you tell viewers what it really is? Yeah, and I should say I I spent a lot of time on Skid Row. The the place I worked was technically located in Hollywood, which is a little bit uh, northwest of Skid Row. Uh, but I'm not unfamiliar. <laughs> uh, Skid Row is uh, it's a neighborhood in Los Angeles that historically uh, has been a place of refuge for people who are are lower income and. Uh, experiencing a, a transitory style of living. And I, I say it that generally because um, when it first started as a neighborhood, it wasn't for people who were who were homeless. It was for temporary workers who were coming from other parts of the country. It was near the train station, and they would come to for seasonal working opportunities that were available in Southern California. And there were... Uh, places to live temporarily where you could pay by the night. And it was a neighborhood specifically designed to house these, you know, transitional workers. Hmm. Uh, and because of that sort of reputation, uh, over time, uh, the neighborhood kind of remained this place for, for temporary living, right? Um, and unfortunately, at a particular time in Los Angeles history around um, in the 1980s, uh, a lot of that housing was was wiped out, um, and it's at that point that it really became uh, the the place where people experiencing homelessness were. Um, and again, because of that reputation, that's where you know the the gospel rescue missions popped up around you know the middle of the 20th century, uh, because that's where the need was, if not for people experiencing homelessness necessarily, certainly poverty. Um, and then for a long time, the sort of unwritten policy in Los Angeles was that if uh, someone was experiencing homelessness anywhere in the large uh, county of L.A., um, they would get picked up by a police officer and dropped off in Skid Row and said, this is where you can be. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you can only do that for so long and it can only expand so far. Uh, that around you know 2008, we have the 
the crisis, the financial crisis that caused a lot of new homelessness. Uh, and then around that same time, downtown was being revitalized. And so all of a sudden there were new boundaries to Skid Row that basically said, well, you can't really go past 4th Street because this is now what we call the Arts District. Uh, and the same thing happened on every side. So Skid Row was contained, uh, and but there were too many people for it to be contained. So homelessness really exploded all across Los Angeles. Wow. I had no idea about any of that history. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, in the book, you say that you've witnessed hell on earth and you give several examples of that. Um, but you've also had some glimpses of heaven. So would you like to share a little bit of both? Sure. Yeah, I, I think I, and that's something that was really important as I wrote the book, um, was to not, uh, to not do what I talk about in the book, especially in, in the eighth chapter, uh, is what uh, is kind of crudely known as poverty porn, right? That a lot of, um, the stereotypical version of this is the, you know, the commercial that comes on at midnight where they show you, you know, starving children or starving pets and play really sad music to get you to feel bad and donate money, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the problem with doing that is it it really minimizes the, the humanity of of the individuals you're you're essentially exploiting to raise money for your organization, right? Even if you are using some of that money toward positive ends, uh, I think it's important to recognize both the direness of the situation that people are in and also to celebrate the the humanity, the resiliency, um, and even some of the things that I think unhoused people, because of the situation that they're in, are, are in touch with that some of the rest of us aren't because we're, we're shielded by by privilege and in many ways are um, not in touch with, you know, some spiritual and uh, interpersonal things that I think we need as humans. Um, And so, yeah, in the conclusion of the book, I kind of personify some of these as understandings of of heaven and hell, that hell is that, um, you know, people experiencing homelessness have, you know, a 30-year lower life expectancy than people who are in housing um, that you know the the combination of uh, substance use that is left untreated because treatment isn't accessible and mental illness that is untreated uh, with life on the streets uh, makes for um, some of the most horrifying things I've ever witnessed um, I've seen uh, decomposing legs with with maggots crawling in them because of a combination of ina- lack of access to good health care and also mental illness that, that allows somebody to, to let that continue uh, without ex- you know, seeking emergency services. Uh, and again, at the same time, I've, I've seen community formed, I've seen relationships build, I've seen people taking care of each other. Um, and I don't just mean you know, people like me who it's my job, but people who are both experiencing homelessness, um, forming community and relationships and and a sense of neighborliness that I think a lot of us 
who are in housing uh, miss out on and misunderstand because we um, we haven't been put in a situation where we truly depend on one another to survive, right? Um, and so that's that's something I'm was really careful in my book to make sure that that I uh, bore witness to, to all of that. Hmm. I can't. It's hard to imagine, you know, for those of us that have not spent a considerable amount of time embedded, you know, in that kind of a situation. It's hard. It's hard for to me at least to imagine what it's like. Yeah. So um, I realize you wrote a whole book about this, but you know, if you were to summarize your recommendations about what we should do about, you know, what seems to be an intractable situation that's multifaceted and complex, what would you say? Yeah. Well, I the the amazing thing about talking about homelessness, you know, I, I do talk about how it's an intersection of all of these these issues, and that makes it feel like, well, can we truly solve homelessness without solving every single problem that leads to homelessness? Uh, but the answer is actually, yeah, we can, uh, because when you think about homelessness, really the one thing that everyone who experiences homelessness has in common is that they don't have access to housing. And we can solve homelessness with housing. Um, that doesn't mean that we should stop there, right? That therefore, if we end homelessness, that these other issues go away, right? Um, but homelessness sort of represents the uh, the worst case scenario or the the very bottom of our safety net that I think we can raise by providing housing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you look at um, a state like Mississippi, right? Uh, Mississippi has the lowest cost of living in the entire country. They also have the least amount of homelessness. Hmm. Uh, and anyone who knows Mississippi doesn't look at Mississippi and say, oh, they don't have poverty. They don't have mental illness. They don't have, you know, they don't have the best access in the world to health care, right? Um, those are still issues that Mississippi needs to address with the people who live there. But what they don't have, because they have affordable housing, they don't have a lot of homelessness. Hmm. Um, so I think we can use that as an example to say we can, we do still need to reform our mental health system. We need to change the way that we as a country deal with uh, drug use. Uh, we need better access to healthcare. We need all of these things. And at the same time, we don't have to just let people languish on the streets until we fix those systems. Mm. Um, so I advocate for a, a very tried and true solution called Housing First for people experiencing homelessness, which is simply that you provide housing <laughs> to people first, uh, and then you come alongside with all the other services um, that people need to put their lives back together, providing that housing as a sort of baseline foundation uh, that allows people the opportunity to work on everything else. Um, and it's it's truly, it's amazing, but also seems so obvious once you really think about it that once you do have a stable place to sleep and you have the safety and security of a locked door and a bed uh, that if you do struggle with your mental health, uh, that gets a lot easier to manage. If you do 
use drugs to cope with chronic pain or trauma, uh, you all of a sudden have less of a, a need or a desire to cope when you have that, that safety, uh, that, that place to call home, right? And again, it, it's not a magic cure that solves all those problems, but it makes everything so much more manageable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so what would you say uh, your hopes are for this book? Yeah, I, I just hope that this book uh, helps people who were already uh, wanting to, to understand homelessness better, uh, especially people of faith, right, who, who see homelessness and say, this isn't right. I, I worship a God who looks upon people with compassion. I worship uh, a Savior who had no place to lay his head. Uh, but I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, I hope that those people walk away with a better understanding of what the root causes are um, and how to address them, not just on a systemic level, because uh, that is important, but also how to have different and better interactions with people that they walk past on the street. Uh, and especially folks who are part of communities um, church communities that that they have a renewed sense of of calling toward uh, the unhoused in their in their parish in in the neighborhood that they call home uh, that they would see the encampment down the street or maybe even in their parking lot as uh, as part of their their neighborhood rather than some mission field or a um, or worse, uh, like an invasion, an outside force coming in. Um, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's more than one. But yeah, uh, no, it's good. Yeah, it's good. That's what I had in mind. <laughs> so I realized that you, you know, just introduced a new book, and you just moved, and you just started a new job. But I have to ask you anyway. I mean, if there's anything in the future um, in terms of either books or projects or what have you that you can talk about. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything solidified. Um, yeah, like you said, I've got a lot of newness that yeah. I'm <laughs> settling into, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this book come out and have so much much hope and excitement for it. And and really, I'm just going to let it let it do its thing. And uh, if it, you know, I would I hope that I get opportunities to to speak. Um, I don't have any sort of official book tour planned, but I do hope to drop by some cities and um, talk in churches when, when folks will let me. And I definitely want to write another book, but I don't have a, a book proposal or a thesis or a title or anything like that. But I've got a, a lot of different ideas and a lot, so many aspects of the book that I wrote could be expanded on and, and fleshed out even more. So there's, there's no shortage of possibilities, but none of them have really solidified as my next thing yet. Well, you've got plenty of time. You're young, and yes. as I said, you're you're busy. So uh, <laughs> let's bring this book to fruition, and like you said, see what happens. Absolutely, that's <laughs> the idea. So don't forget the the name of the book is "Grace Can Lead Us Home: A Christian Call to End Homelessness," and uh, you can learn more about it at kevinmnye.com. So, Kevin, um, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for this uh, incredible piece of work. I think it's really going to be helpful this cause and for helping us all see insights into that we haven't before. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for giving me an opportunity to, to share more about it. My pleasure. Thank you.